Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's guest on the show is Kai Lenny. Kai needs no introduction, I am sure, to anyone listening to this podcast. He is a world-class waterman, world-class big wave surfer, multiple world championships across multiple disciplines. And I am incredibly grateful to Kai for his role in where foiling has, uh, has what ha- what foiling has become. I mean, we had generation one air chair foiling and then Dave Kalama, Laird Hamilton and the tow crew. But then version three V3 right now is, has a lot to do with Kai, Alex Aguirre. Um, those guys really changed the way uh, in which the world can look at a foil and has changed the way that we access energy, ocean energy. And so it was great to get him on the show. It is a wide ranging conversation centered on foiling, but then we dive into other aspects of Kai's training and um, his mental approach to these disciplines. We get into manifestation. And I think that there's a lot for anyone. I don't think that you have to be a surfer or foiler to appreciate what Kai has achieved in his mindset. So just really excited to be able to share this conversation with you all. Before we dive in, a couple notes. The project, the Unifoil project, the final production molds, I guess they're not prototypes anymore. It is the production foils from China, from the factory, um, arrived last week, and I have been testing the 140 and the 170, and it's amazing. I mean, when we look at the curve of progression in the foil f- through the prototypes and what we learned about the degradation in the mold quality and having the, the final prototypes and now feeling that go from final prototype into production, the amount of refinement is is unbelievable. I mean, you're stronger foil, less weight, but the curves are just perfect. You know, the molds that were done are one-tenth of a millimeter tolerance. And this project, if it's taught me anything, it has taught me that we are playing a game of incredibly precise um, dimensions, measurements, and you can feel it. You can feel it. I mean, the biggest change is there's just a little bit more glide, a little bit more roll, but then the pitching moment, something I think about the curve has allowed the pitching moment to uh, to drop out a little bit. So so less pitching moment. So, and there wasn't much to start off with, but I had to use a little bit more tail than I was using, I think on some other foils, even though it was you know, still incredible. But now I've been able to drop down to even smaller tails because all I want a tail to do is to keep me from pitching through a speed range. I want the smallest tail I can possibly have. And now I've been able to go down to the smallest tails. And I'm glad we hadn't finalized tails yet because now we're working on that with the production foils. And it's just super cool. I can't wait to share it with everybody. Um, The first round are going out to uh, uh, about 15 people to test 
to just make sure everything's good. And that'll happen over the next few weeks. And then it's uh, go on, on the full production. So super exciting. Um, just uh, really grateful to be a part of that project. And I hope that people enjoy it. You know, it's like a really easy, glidey, fun foil to ride that you can still really perform on, which is exactly what I was hoping for. I like to relax. I don't want to work as hard as some folks do. And, um, but I still like to surf, uh, at, at a, at a decently, at a decent level. Anyways, let's dive into the show. Um, this is, uh, going to be really fun to explore the mindset of Kai Lenny and hit me with questions, comments, feedback. And again, thank you Kai for coming on the show and for your role in foiling. And I hope everybody is doing well. Kai, thanks for coming on the show, man. How are you? <laughs> Good. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be on. Um, super stoked to have you on. You are probably the most requested guest to get on the podcast um, as you kind of started this whole foiling madness. How do you feel about having a role in starting what has become, to many people out there, the the greatest sport ever invented? Um, I mean, gosh, like, I'm just stoked that so many people love to do it because it just means that, you know, my idea or vision when I first started it was actually not a bad idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, foiling's been around well, you know, before I was even around, I think, um, with the air chair and then involving the towing um, with the boots and everything. But I always just thought, you know, instead of trying to ride the biggest waves ever ridden, why don't we just try to ride the smallest waves ever ridden? Like, that's when I think the foil was going to be the most accessible. And initially, I was like, gosh, I'd love to just go way faster downwind since we do all this paddleboarding, um, stand-up paddling and canoe paddling downwind in the summer times. So initially that's what gave me the idea. I'm like, gosh, I got to stick like a foil on the bottom of, uh, one of my, um, downwind boards. And it really just started with going in small waves to see if I could even get it up on foil and, you know, scaling the foil up significantly. And then it was just a light went off my head. I'm like, wow, this changes everything. I mean, when when does small waves on any craft you know feel this high performance so you know i wasn't sure if people were going to really be into it or like it so as soon as i saw everyone else around the world doing it i was super stoked because it was like all right the idea wasn't crazy and um you know i just knew that the more people that get into it the better the equipment would be getting you know everyone would be pushing the envelope and thus i'd be able to ride better and better gear. So I'm stoked. <laughs> Talk through those early days from when you had the, the idea, maybe how you had the idea, like the, the first inception point of that. And then the early days of gear and, and what you were thinking about some of the tests that you did, you know, everybody knows the Nash, you know, downwind sup video. Were there iterations before that? Yeah. So initially, you know, I was like, um, I actually went to Hood River it must have been maybe a year and a half earlier. And I brought all of my foil boards, um, like my the ones that I would tow on back in the day with the snowboard bindings. And I was convinced that I could go downwind at Hood River because the swells were so big. I'm like, I could probably ride a couple swells on this thing. Um, 
But I mean, those foils, you couldn't pump and, you know, they barely moved. Uh, like they didn't get that much lift at low speed rather. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I had all the gear there and I tried lining up a jet ski, but, um, you know, we ended up going down the harbor to go out to try it. I think that would have been the first time I was going to try going downwind with it. And then the jet ski like broke down. I didn't even get to go out and it was just the wind died and, you know, it wasn't meant to be at that moment. And I don't even know if it would have, I think I would have been able to get on a swell and ride it for a second. Probably would have gotten me, you know, closer to, you know, what inevitably happened, but everything happens for a reason and ended up just like putting it on the side for a little bit. And then, um, you know, there was uh, a point where I was like, gosh, I want to like, I want to go foil more. Um, I really, really want to, to, to foil, but I just don't feel like having to always have to get my jet ski out and have somebody come tow me, you know what I mean? And, um, most people don't know how to do this, so they're not gonna be into it because they don't want to just drive. There's just like a number of things. So I ended up getting a kite foil, which was carbon and the mass was like, I swear a hundred CM. It was massive or maybe even more like 115. It was like one of the front wing, I think was like a 500 or something square mm-hmm. centimeter. And uh, I ended up going out at Sugar Cove and, and, and riding a couple waves on it and feeling in like so stoked on it. Like this is actually working, but felt deathly sketchy because um, this foil was so small and completely unstable meant for high speed and, you know, towed by kite. And so that was Alex Aguera's foil back before it was called GoFoil. It's just called Aguera foils. And then mm-hmm. I reached back out to him like, Hey, could you like make a bigger wing <laughs> than this? So I could have more lift and ended up going on a trip. He, uh, you know, ended up messaging me right when I got back saying he made something and it was the original Kai front wing. Um, I can't remember how big that thing was, but it was like compared to everything else that I'd ever ridden, it was massive, especially the thickness on it. It was like, I was like, Oh, this thing looks crazy. I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, first shot on it, put it on my, 7.0 SUP board and uh, just paddled in on my stomach or actually stand and paddled into a wave. And I was like, wow, this is it. Like this, this changes everything. I was like just ripping turns. I felt like I was shortboarding on a wave that was unshortboardable. And, and then I, and then I was like, well, if I could stand a paddle, I could probably paddle in on my stomach. And then I caught a couple waves of that. And it was a really rainy, stormy day on Maui. And remember just kind of like shaking my head going, this is insane. Like this is absolutely insane. The potential's crazy. Um, and then immediately we got one of my SUP um, boards, like my 12 or 12, six sand boards and um, put a box in it. And I went down to Kahului Harbor where everyone wings now. And I caught a couple swells and the tail was too long. It was just dragging. I couldn't get it up on foil. So we ended up chopping the tail off and, um, <laughs> And then kind of like resonating it. And then I ended up going for a downwinder and just decided to bring um, a filmer, Jace Ponabianco, just to get some shots just in case it worked. And so my reaction in that video was like real because that was literally the moment it, it actually happened. You know, that was the moment it, it came to fruition. And I was only gliding maybe 150, 200 yards um, before like the board was so long, it was, and the foil didn't really have that much lift and it was very, very draggy, but at the time it was state of the art, you know, 
And, uh, and, and that just changed everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, going downwind will never, ever be the same. And, um, and then after that, it was my quest to try to get as many people to do it with me as possible. But it's funny because at first, not, um, not anyone was really too interested in doing it. Um, like they, they thought, I think the next people that did it was Connor and Zane, um, downwind. Um, no one was really doing it. Um, you know, on the Kai, I think the next people that actually got on the Kai go foil from, uh, yeah, it was actually the Spencer brothers. They were like the next guys that got one. Um, and then it was right. just us doing the wave stuff. And then, you know, eventually I was driving on the South shore and I saw some waves and I saw this like outer break breaking. I'm like, man, I should be able to prone like on a shortboard with this foil. And I talked to my shaper, Keith Sabul. Keith ended up um, making me just a shortboard with a box in it. It was a small board. It was like a five, seven shortboard, super thin, narrow. And again, it was like just the lights went off again. It was like another epiphany moment. I piled out on this shortboard and I was foiling by myself, these perfect swells and, you know, no one would go to any of these waves. So I was completely by myself. And it's funny now foiling here has kind of inspired other surfers, like longboarders and stuff to ride waves. They wouldn't normally ride because on the South shore, there was, it was only known to be like three spots to surf. Now there's like 15 or something. Um, but yeah, after all this, my quest was purely like, Oh my gosh, I need to get as many people to try this as possible. Cause it's too fun for me to be the only one. Um, mm-hmm. Fast forward that summer, I went down to Fiji and, uh, and I brought it and I was like, okay, it's time to, to, to like try this in like really perfect waves. And I ended up probably riding that the most, that board of my entire trip. I mean, Cloudbreak was like 10 to 12 feet, really good. And I did go out there and, um, get some awesome waves, but I was like, I want to foil. And Kelly was on, Kelly Slater was on, um, Tavarua. And I was like, you got to come over and try this thing. You know, if the goat rides it, everyone's going to want to ride it. Um, but we did it on like the worst day you could possibly imagine. It was dead low tide, exposed reef, um, you know, kind of barreling lefts at Nemotu. And uh, I could kind of do it because I like had been doing it for a while, but Kelly didn't really get any. And he was like, I'm over this. This is too sketchy. But it was that same session. I kicked out of a wave and I had all this speed and I'm like, gosh, I wonder if I could like pump to the next wave. And I tried pumping and I got to the next wave. And that was another epiphany moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's no other sport on earth besides maybe kiting where you can immediately like kick out and ride the next wave. But here I am just standing on a board kind of just, you know, only in board shorts. Um, And I mean, in what world is this like, was this possible? And so, and then I tried to do a second one, but you know, I wasn't used to the tempo and ended up coming off well, but at least there it was like, oh, the race was on to see how many times you could do a circle between waves. But uh, yeah, I mean, now I'll never travel ever again without a foil. It's always in my suitcase and I always throw the board in any board bag that I have. So thinking about surfing to foiling, the wave riding aspect is somewhat similar. Obviously, you're managing altitude, but pumping is completely unique. What gave you the idea at the beginning that you could actually pump and maintain speed without wave energy? Uh, initially, it was when I was kicking out of the waves. I was kicking out and I had so much speed um, that I would keep gliding. 
And I would probably come off foil. This is before like, okay, I can pump, you know, like I was probably Mm -hmm. just kind of gliding out and riding the glide out and almost reaching the next wave already. And I was like, oh, I wonder like if I do a Huntington hop, if I can kind of make it. And I mean, there was a pumping aspect. Actually, you know, once I did it, I remembered, you know, Dave Kalama back in like the early 2000s talking about um, pumping a hydrofoil and almost connecting a wave um, at outer Sprex um, on the outer reef here on Maui, like kicking out and trying to pump, but he could never make it. It was just mm-hmm. the foil. It wasn't anything more. And as soon as I did it, I remembered, oh man, this was like a thing before, like these guys were trying to do, but you know, the equipment just wasn't there. And, uh, and so now it's just like, now it's just like this, I would say it's probably the first maneuver, uh, foiler learns, you know, that's the first thing you want to do is try to get to the next wave. But like I said, it felt like, God, it felt alien almost. It felt like too good to be true. And, you know, I'd say probably of all the accomplishments I've ever had in my, you know, wave riding career, maybe the foil was like, better than any feeling a world championship could give because it like resonated with so many people across the world and everyone was like so stoked on it. And I think because no one else was doing it, like there wasn't like this immediate, like, gosh, we kind of hate it. Actually, once the sport was a little more established, my perception was all the best surfers on earth that I knew from the Kelly Slaters to the John Johns to the world tour, essentially loved foiling. They were obsessed with it. They, at one point, I mean, most of the guys would bring foils on tour with them. And I still think, I think John John still does and a few others, but um, they'd actually bring foils with them. And and it was actually the guys that weren't very good at surfing that weren't into it, which was, I thought <laughs> the first time in water sports history where the best, the, 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 the considered the cream of the crop, the best of the best were obsessed with foiling. And your average Joe surfer thought it was lame. And I'm like, well, that's how I know this is really sick (laughs) is when, you know, the best guys on planet earth think it's the, it's, you know, the shit, then, then this is really something, you know? And, um, but I've always said from the beginning, like the, what I love the most about foiling is it's the crowdscaper, you know, you can go someplace and I mean, truly the perfect surfing wave isn't a great, foiling wave you know a better foiling wave is not a great surfing wave so i always saw it as like hey if you never want to surf with somebody again you know or just your friends on foils you're going to you know want to be doing this and and it'll keep you really stoked every day and you know the conditions can be two foot to massive and you could still foil (laughs) yeah you know what's interesting about it is that, and and you live on Maui, and so you might not have the same appreciation that folks on the East Coast have. But, you know, if you're a surfer on the East Coast, you get a couple good days, like legit good days a year. And now the foil has just absolutely, like yesterday was an absolutely shit day of surf, but it was blowing 25 straight side shore. And I did five miles of just bliss. Oh my gosh, that's insane. It's so amazing. Um. And it's just opened up a coast. You know, I lived in Costa Rica for 10 years. I don't even want to go back anymore. Does it, you don't have to surf trip. It's like, there's always something on. You got the wing, you've got the foil, downwind, yeah. whatever it is. I just thought it brought, like, surfing was just so limited to where you lived. I mean, the best surfers came from where the best waves were, no matter what. And, um, you know, my I was doing these windsurfing contests back then over in Germany, and 
it was just such terrible surf. Um, great windsurfing when, you know, a hailstorm came through. But even then, you know, it was just like the the non-stormy days when there was no wind. There was just like these mediocre waves that you could kind of ride a longboard on. But, you know, I was initially thinking, man, the changes, Europe's going to be changed forever because now it's just, it's epic conditions every day. And they actually have perfect full waves because it's kind of like, you know, consistent swell, but, you know, not organized and you can pump around and the waves actually get tall, but not steep enough for like shortboarding or anything like that. So I, I, and I figured too, the East coast, you know, I mean, it's probably the the sport I think was always meant for these places that, um, you know, didn't have a pipeline in their backyard necessarily, or a Rincon Malibu, you know what I mean? Like they're, you know, I thought it brought accessibility to surfing to everyone around the world. And I thought the camaraderie of the sport now is really great. I mean, there's not really any sport that I know of in the water where you actually want somebody to ride a wave with you. Like, I love it when I'm riding a wave with somebody else because you can really do crossovers and you can ride together. And with a foil, there's so much space all of a sudden, you know, you're not confined to just the pocket. And so um, I always thought that was cool. I mean, to me, it's like so futuristic, but it embodied the soul of surfing, even though most surfers might not see it that way. I think, uh, you know, it captured or it captures like the pure love of just riding waves with other people. And, you know, that's what Duke Hanamoku wanted to give to the world. You know, he was somebody that I think would have been pretty excited about the foil um, if he was still alive today. Yeah. There's no scarcity. You know, there's so many days when three of us will take off on the same wave and everyone's laughing and hooting each other. And, and, and that has extrapolated now into the sport, the community of the sport, uh, in general to where everyone's just stoked. Like people are coming into town. I'm sure you probably get this too. And then just stoked to foil with you. And, oh um, yeah. I mean, that's the best thing yeah. is like, um, uh, paddleboarding like prone paddleboarding back in the day had that same kind of like collective but like now there's just these little pockets of crew like if you're a foiler from anywhere in the world and you show up to maui and you meet a foiler down at the beach they'll probably be like hey do you want to go with 15 of us we're doing a downwinder you know we're gonna go on you know the south shore today or we're gonna go to the north shore and we're all gonna be here and there's like there's a real group of people that want to go out all together and um i think that's really cool and, um, you know, I, when I went to Oahu, actually, that was probably the coolest experience I'd ever had as far as like this, um, this foiling crew. Um, it was, uh, it was all, the, I guess the Voyagers foil crew. They, they do these short runs, like two mile runs from, um, you know, Diamond Head down to the Auger Canoe Club. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, you know, is famous for being Duke Kahanamoku's spot. And, um, it's like this epic run where it's like downwinding but then there's surf in between so you actually surf and if you fall you just foil back up and i've never seen more foilers pack into one truck in my entire life i swear there's 15 (laughs) people in this f-150 and i'm like how is it possible that all these foils fit in this back of this truck and there's like 10 guys in the back and there's like all these guys like five guys squeezed in the front and it's just hilarious and then you'll have like the hardcore foilers that that's all they want to do. And then you'll have like a uh, world tour athletes show up um, like Ezekiel Lau or, or, 
a Seth Moniz or somebody on a foil and they'll join in. So you get this real fun crew and those guys are just rad. Um, but, but, uh, like, yeah, there's like very few sports where, you know, most people want to keep their little gold mine to themselves. The foilers are the opposite. They just, the more, the merrier. It's like more fun that way. Yeah. I mean, I've never been on a downwind run where after 15 minutes I was ever near anybody. It's like, you're always alone. It feels like, I mean, that's the coolest part too, is like, there's like, it just goes to show you can just ride waves. There's like the ocean has so many waves. There's, it's, it's it's unlimited for, for us and out in the open ocean are insane swells. So you've been a part of this from the beginning and had a hand in the evolution of the technical side, the foil design side. Mm -hmm. What are you most stoked on in the current um, set of foils out there and where do you see it going in the future where are we in the evolutionary curve right now how much better can it get you think i think you know i've always been quite optimistic that it can get significantly better um i think you know the foils now are just phenomenal i i do feel like winging has had a great hand in and and kind of allowing the sport to speed up um, with the technology, just because on a flat day, you, you can really like pull a lot of high performance out of a foil, um, for, you know, when you just go on a wing and you have something pulling you, whereas a kite, you know, you really have to edge on the kite winging. is like kind of an extension of just standing vertically over your board. So like my goal and my foils lately, you know, we've been making some custom ones here on Maui has been, how could you make the most efficient foil, that has insane low end. I mean, we're talking about trying to squeeze every aspect of a great, what would make a great foil into one thing. And I think we've gotten pretty close. It's, um, you know, I mainly ride a 700 square centimeter front wing. It's a mid aspect and um, it has such insane low end. I can do a downwinder on it, like no problem. Um, it has such great high end. I could ride like a 30 foot faced wave on the outer reefs and be completely comfortable um, and then, you know, for tricks, it has a ton of pop. So I'm kind of like been engineering my foils to have, um, this surfing feel where it just feels like an extension, like the, the wing tips are, if, if in fact a rail of a surfboard, you know, there's that real nice rolly feel. And I know everyone's been going a lot more high aspect and I think that's great. The efficiency to be able to pump in laps and depending on the conditions for sure, doing downwinders, like on a speed aspect or just, uh, a f- like a uh, flowing aspect, um, probably high aspects are the way to go. Really just depends on the conditions. But for me and pure wave riding, I really like the kind of mid aspect. It kind of has best of both worlds. But, um, you know, that all being said, uh, I think the foils can just get more efficient um, and then get more refined. Uh, you know, we just look at surfboards where they've come since Duke Hanamoku's board and you know, we've only just started. I sometimes think I'm like, I really, we haven't really been doing this that long. Like what, 2016 was the first time I went downwind and paddled in prone on the foil. I mean, 2016 wasn't that long ago. So, uh, you know, it's, someone's going to keep coming up with insane ideas and it's going to inspire many others to figure out how to make it better. And, you know, it's great that the more people that are into it, the better all this gear is going to get. But to me now, like as far as the sport goes, like my performance, I really would like to, well, I think it's going to go like really skating oriented. Um, you know, I think a lot more people are going to be doing strapless tricks and stuff. I know um, 
Noah, uh, Noah um, uh, Flan- yeah. Flangle. Flangle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's unreal. He's been doing a lot of unstrapless stuff and tricking out and um and and I think it was like. Austin Tovey, I've been watching. He's gnarly yeah. too. I mean, those guys do insane stuff with the tricks, and it's cool to see like pro wakeboarders with that kind of background, you know, go to their bring their air awareness to the foiling. Um, and so, but I think really, I mean, the people we should care about most is the people that just want to get up and fly like a bird and have a really like easy time with it and have a really stable yet high performance foil. And, and and safe too, you know? I don't think foils need to be absurdly sharp, um, especially for what most people's use is. And often I've found that my surf fins, I get more cut by my shortboard fins than I do from my foil. Because really a good foil isn't super sharp. I mean, granted, unless you're trying to ride a 100-foot wave, then you probably need a very small, sharp foil. But that's like 10 people in the world that I think want to do that. <laughs> Um, speaking of big surf, what's your, what are your favorite conditions to foil in? Like a perfect foil day for you would be what? Um, it just depends. But I mean, if it comes down to wave riding, I'm obsessed with trying to do flips and tricks. I think my favorite foiling conditions are just like consistent, um, glassy head high surf. Um, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be like super steep. I actually like the waves that actually do have one hollow section for doing like kind of backflips and landing back on the wave, but then where it kind of mushes out and you can just kind of slam the whitewater. Um, that's really fun conditions. Um, I'm doing, I am inspired about big waves though. Like I'm working on a big wave foil now just to be able to really ride a big wave the way I could ride my toe and board. I feel like there's still a degree of separation. You can't quite rip a big wave yet. Like you can sort of survive and it's fun for a couple waves before you're like, all right, I got away with not, you know, getting a severe concussion from going 50 miles an hour. But um, what's the limiting factor in big surf on a foil? I think stability, you know, and then lift right now you get so much lift on these tiny little foils. And then if you go smaller, which will decrease lift, you end up getting um, uns- like instability. And, you know, on a lot of these big waves, like if you notice, I mean, there's guys that are foiling Nazare better and better now. Um, but it also looks like they're standing on, you know, a bowling ball with Vaseline. It looks just so like on edge. Um, Jaws was, if you notice, not a lot of people ever really went right at Jaws because there's so many boils. So figuring mm-hmm. out how to like, you know, not hit turbulence underwater. Um, Jaws left is probably the best big wave I've ever ridden for foiling. It's so smooth underwater and a lot of consequences if you fall because the rocks, but as far as a foiling wave, you could probably ride the biggest wave ever foiled there and do it comfortably. Um, Just the way the wave's super steep at the top, but kind of slopier at the bottom. Um, um, So it's like, I've been, we've been working on, you know, my brother and my friend Carlos, you know, we have like this, um, company called the Hydrofoil Company, and we only make our own custom stuff, but it's kind of like just designs that, you know, Carlos and I kind of work on in Ridge. And um, we figured out how to kind of cure the turbulence um, with some design modifications that help tremendously. That's what this new foil is going to have. And, um, you know, hopefully everyone can experience soon if we can, if we ever make one in production. But I mean, that being said, it's like, we're dealing with like millimeters here, you know, or it's just like 
tenths of a millimeter difference on these big wave foils. Because the faster you go, the more, uh, yeah, the more that it um, becomes like crucial. And mm-hmm. I mean, a similar thing that the America's Cup boats are having right now is they can't get over the fifty knot barrier because at a certain point your foil heats up so much from the friction of the water that it starts boiling the water and when it boils the oxygen kind of like expands around your foil and creates an air pocket and you lose lift and you crash um mm-hmm. so i've i've been wondering i'm like i ask those guys all the time i'm like are you guys going to put like some sort of like kind of like um layer over the carbon or or you know how um you know, the space shuttle had those tiles to like kill heat and friction. Yeah. I'm like, that could be the future. You know, there has to be some sort of material from, you know, NASA or some aerospace company that can like kill that, that heat buildup and off that friction. Um, but, you know, only time will tell. That's a solution that will be solved, but don't think it will be immediately. <laughs> um, you guys were way ahead of the curve with, the MFC 1200, 1400, those were good foils. The yeah, thousand. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. And that, that was, those foils were great. I mean, they came, we had a, like had a lot of trouble getting those things out too. So that design was like, gosh, it felt like when it finally came out, it was like two years, behind, like two years behind what we were already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's like, you know, kind of fast forwarding to like what we have now. It's just too bad with like, the current, um, you know, supply chain and, in, you know, impending inflation and recession that, you know, things can't move a little bit quicker. But, you know, it's like, it's just crazy to see that flow was so great. And I still enjoy to ride it from time to time just for the novelty of it. But I mean, even since then, the foils have gotten, you know, just supremely, you know, improved, at least on, you know, I'm mainly riding the stuff that, uh, that, that we've been working on, um, but uh, yeah, no, thank you. That foil's fun to ride. I rode that for a long, long time. Yeah, you know, for a wider foil, you guys were the first people to really introduce dihedral, which makes which makes a lot of sense. Um, and so it rolled quite well, I thought, for uh, for the size. Um, the let let's take a sep- uh, like a, a different tangent here for a little bit and. Let's move into performance learning. You know, this podcast is kind of two parts. It's exploring the learning process and flow through foiling. And I think that while you have been an innovator in foiling, what is most impressive is what you have been able to do in the multitude of surf sports that you compete in. Um, And, you know, you came on the podcast I used to do in the SUP world, uh, you know, it's probably six or seven years ago at this point. Yeah. And I remember that conversation in how much self-belief you had and how much vision you had for what you were going to accomplish in the future. And I didn't go back and, and but I, I'm pretty sure you accomplished pretty much everything that you thought you were going to accomplish. And what I wanted to start this conversation with is, do you believe in manifestation I mean, goal setting, all of that, but is there something larger to it? How, how do you, how, how does, how does the world work for you? Uh, I think once you're able to sort of convince, um, at least I've noticed if I'm able to really convince myself and truly believe in something and, you know, it could be the most outrageously, um, 
it could be the most outrageously kind of out there idea that doesn't seem tangible. But like, if I wake up every day and try convince myself it's possible, and I, I get to a certain point where I believe I'm going to do it, and it's going to happen, but I have no idea how it's going to happen. And I'm not even worried about how it's going to happen. A lot of times, I think when you get too meticulous, and you try to like, figure out the exact roadmap to get somewhere, you inevitably never get there, you just kind of spin your tires. And um, I do believe that like, manifesting really just means that, you know, you have just unwavering um, belief and passion in yourself that regardless any speed bumps ahead of you, you know, you're going to get to the other end. And, and I think with that kind of like drive, you end up, you'll end up getting there, you know, eventually, it just it's like, how much farther can you push yourself to get to that point? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I often try to tell myself, I'm like, gosh, if I just believed in myself even a little bit more than I do even now, um, I think I would really, you know, be on another level. You know, it's like, that's the hardest part of all this is just feeling like you've almost already done it, but you just have to kind of go through the motions to get there. Um, so, yeah. Are there any concrete examples of that? Um, I think big wave surfing's kind of like a great idea, you know, because like when I started off, you know, I was my main focus was in wind sports or stand up paddling and you know, I never paddled into giant waves and then all of a sudden come, you know, 2011 was when Shane Dorian came over to Maui and I was towing into big waves, but that's very much different. Um, and then, so, you know, I would say at that time, the chorus thing in surfing to do was paddle into giant waves. And the only board I had was this standup was a nine, eight, 28 inches wide, four inches thick monster production gun, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, was never designed for me, but designed for a Dave Kalama, you know, like a bigger guy. And so I could just remember, um, you know, all of a sudden realizing, okay, it's not going to be so easy to ride big waves like my heroes did because there's no toe and surfing anymore or toe and surfing's on the backbone. It's all about paddling. And if I want to ride Jaws, I got to paddle in. And a year later, I had a 10-0 gun. I never paddled a gun before. And I can remember being in my yard, looking up at this thing. Um, and I think I was 17 years old. I was like, I was like looking at this gun going, oh, man, feels wrong that I have this because I just, I could, can I ride this where it's meant to be ridden? And I surprised myself. And I think because of my athleticism and stand-up paddling, I was like, you know, without knowing it, I was probably more fit and more trained than anyone in the lineup. Um, just because I think stand-up paddle racing is the best type of training for big waves you could possibly do. Because you have to be balanced on your board. You get used to riding a giant board. You're constantly out of breath. Um, and, and your entire body's working to move this thing through the water. And there's a technique involved. But then you have to also be focused on strategy if you're in a race or something. You know, you have to have clarity when, you know, everything in your body is screaming pain. <laughs> uh, and so when I would go out there, I realized like, oh, I could wipe out on these big waves and not be fatigued and go straight out and be completely fine. So, you know, that was like, that was a pretty cool thing about being across, um, you know, a multi-sport athlete was um, being able to bring an advantage from something that no one expected would give me the advantage necessarily. And uh, the next part was just overcoming my fear of putting myself in the path of a giant wave and 
took about 10 years, but I feel like now there's, you know, there's a very few waves that if I was in the spot for and it was coming in and, you know, the conditions were right, I wouldn't not go, you know, like, um, there's, there's, I, I pretty much feel like there's I, any wave that anyone would paddle into now, I would, if I was in the spot, I'd go too, you know, or maybe even other ways that people didn't think they'd go on. You know, I've been in scenarios where, you know, people were like, oh, what are you doing paddling for that wave? I'm like, I think I can go and, um, <laughs> you know, end up pulling it off and, you know, doing these other sports, give me the confidence to free fall through the air at times on a giant board, because I'm used to that with windsurfing and stand up and those sort of things. So, I mean, that's just an example of like, not even being accepted in the surfing world, probably being considered a kook, and then just persevering to the point where, you know, I'm an established name in big wave riding. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, I've ended up winning events and, you know, biggest wave of the year, you know, paddling awards for biggest wave. And, I mean, not trying to toot my own horn, but it's just, it just is an example of, like, being somebody that, Probably no one expected, nobody believed in at first. I mean, I couldn't even get back in the day uh, people to be my jet ski safety and I couldn't even get on other people's boats to go out to Jaws. So it ended up just being my neighbor down the street that we'd hit up and be like, hey, could we like pay you? Just take me up to Jaws or and uh, <laughs> and it would just be me and my dad. My dad would go up on my jet ski that we, you know, pay that I saved up to get. And, um, you know, it was like just us. It couldn't get anybody to do anything with me. And uh, and then um, Victor Lopez was the first guy um, that like he, he hadn't been in big waves in a while. And he's like, you know what? Screw all those guys. I'll bring you up there. Like, no problem. So it's just my dad, Matt Smith, the boat captain, um, myself. And then, uh, yeah, and then Victor Lopez. And then our team just grew bigger and bigger. And now I think we have the best big wave team there is. Um, boats, you know, uh, you know, direct line to helicopters, jet skis beyond belief, you know? Um, so, you know, I, it was just a belief that I could pull it off and I'm coming not from like a particular wealthy background of being an athlete, you know, like those sports were niche enough that I just put all my money into my passions, um, that I earned. And, it was enough to afford a jet ski, afford boats, uh, or a, the the boat time. And then thank yeah. God I had a good dad who wanted to be there with me and then be able to pay my friend Victor to, for his time out there, you know, always wanted to make it fair. And any award that I ever won after that, you know, I'd always try to split it up amongst the team that helped me get to that point. So, uh, you know, that's just sort of the lesson that like, yeah, it just seemed like Mount Everest and, um, you know, fortunately, I was able to get to the top and ascend and descend it a few times. <laughs> Listening to you tell that story, have you seen the Kanye West Netflix documentary? Uh, a little bit of it, yeah. I think that his self-belief, it's very similar, right? He was telling everyone that he was going to win a Grammy when he was back in Chicago and um, no one took him seriously and walking around, you know, trying to sell himself to all the record record labels the whole time. Um, it's a, yeah, that's I really mean, cool. life. I've noticed one thing's for sure. If you're, if you're, if you're doing something right, most people are going to want to pull you down regardless, you know, and, uh, that's just, that's any successful person ever. Um, not everybody, you know, there's definitely plenty of 
amazing supportive people. Um, and those are the ones you want to be close with. But there's always the good people that don't think that it's possible, right? Um, and and that's totally all right as well. Like to me, it's uh it's motivation. And it actually it actually makes you realize that you might in fact be in going in the right direction when most people don't believe it. Like with the foiling too, like I just remember like people that I looked up to, you know, yelling at me for paddling out to a wave that no one was going out to because I had a foil. They're like, you're going to inspire too many people and someone's going to get hurt. And I'm like, like, Hey, you know, it's called common sense. Um, you know, people aren't, people are smart enough to know that you shouldn't probably, if you're learning, go to a crowded surf lineup, you know, but I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because, uh, you know, the opinion of yourself who you, I never even see you in the water anyway. It's kind of like, you know, the common section in big waves, you know, it's like, where are you when the waves are big? <laughs> you know, um, he lost a jet ski, shouldn't be out there, you know, just whatever. It's just kind of background noise. And it's actually really just super entertaining and fun. Cause I've never had any of those people say anything to my face about anything. Um, but, uh, I mean, all that being said at the end of the day, we just want to have fun and, and, and do what we love to do and, and go out there. And, you know, if I'm not affecting anyone, then it ain't my problem. As you've become a bigger presence in the surf world and now arguably outside of the surf world, um, how has that been, uh, you know, on a personal level de- dealing with that? Um, you know, I think there's a fine line, you know, at a certain point you feel like, I feel like, almost have a pressure to constantly be doing something super gnarly. Like if I'm not every post, isn't me doing like, you know, something nuts, which is backflips or big waves or something, then, um, you know, like you can get definitely get wrapped up into the social media part of things, the competitive mm-hmm. nature. And it's just kind of a bummer. Like when I was growing up in my career, there was so many events across all these sports. And nowadays there's like, there are, but they're just so few at the same time. And, it's it's difficult to like you know get all your energy out in these competitions because there might be like now there's one paddling big wave event per year you know there's a couple stand-up events here and there but they usually fall on the same date as another you know big wave event or whatever your goals are so like if in a perfect world i would just be going from world tour to world tour and uh you know trying to break into surfing as well you know if there you know there was always an appetite to want to be on a high enough level to compete on like at the WCT. And I still think I have a quite a bit of road ahead of me to get my surfing to that point. But that being said, even just trying to do that would mean sacrificing everything else that I love to do for about two years if everything went perfectly. And um, just because you can only focus on that one thing to get to where you want to go. And um right now I'm just obsessed with pushing the limits of my sports, like big wave riding, um, the foil, trying to innovate different sports that don't exist yet, you know? So it's just trying to find the focus and, um, not being, you know, too distracted by, you know, the noise around and, and, uh, and just trying to be the best athlete possible. Cause you know, I'm 30 now and, uh, you know, we only have so much time to really be pushing the limits to the next, next level. And, I'm just fired up to try to do things that I think have never been done before. You mentioned there the being a part of multiple different sports. And, you know, when I think about learning, 
and when I first kind of started studying learning, I've always been a lifelong learner. Um, but about 10 years ago, I became good friends with, um, someone named Josh Wadeskin, who's a, he wrote a book called the art of learning and he kind of took me under his wing and, and, and really helped me like dive deeply into the learning process. And, you know, Anders Ericsson, who wrote the, um, uh, peak was, was on the podcast and, um, you know, he, he was the one who found the 10,000 hour rule. But if you look at your path or the path of, you know, Zane, Kiahi, Austin, Tovey, um, you guys are athletes who have excelled across multiple disciplines and in kind of really taking some time to internalize that over the last few years, I believe that there is some huge advantages into learning synergistic sports but at the same time, uh, is that something that you think about? Uh, how, how do you approach training? What are you pulling from one sport to another? You just mentioned there, if surfing, you'd have to, you know, focus on surfing for two years, but thus far in your career, you've been able to be top level in these sports while not dedicating yourself. Um, yeah, no, exactly. I think when I say that about surfing, it's not just going out and being taught, like, just, okay, only two years, I only am shortboarding, you know? It's more like the competitive side of things, you know, where okay. the amount of focus to prepare for an event someplace to get the most out of it, you probably have to yeah. sacrifice kind of a lot of, you know, other sports um, in the process for that. Um, I think just surfing, shortboarding is so specific. And then also kind of, you kind of got to prove to the wider, you know, sport that you you deserve the scores you're getting. Cause like, I mean, that was one thing I noticed, like it was really going from winning world championships in standup and then being highly competitive and getting scores and windsurfing and kiting and kind of these other sports, um, surfing such a tribal niche group of people that, you know, the, there's always been a favor, you know, and, particularly in big wave surfing, but in small waves as well, where, you know, you have to absolutely, if you're an outsider, you have to absolutely destroy whoever your opponent is. And mm -hmm. if it's at all close, they're going to always give it to the other guy. And that's just, that's just sports in general that are, you know, um, um, you know, like where there's judges involved. And the great thing about racing is first over the line wins, right? But, um, mm -hmm. you know, so it's being able to manage that in surfing and be able to prove to the judges that, you know, you do deserve the score. And that starts with before you even catch a wave, how you paddle out, um, you know, how you, you know, sh you know, carry yourself on the beach. It's like pretty wild. Um, but I mean, I think the reason why I am as, you know, accomplished as I am in the sports that I do, including surfing, is the cross pollination of you know, of the water sports and kind of how each one is a spinoff of, um, each one is a spinoff of, uh, like one another. And what I, especially it all accumulates in big waves. That's the wild thing. Kite surfing. I get comfortable with being really high in the air and going really fast on a small board. That's riding a tow board in big waves and doing airs, um, paddling in, um, my endurance comes from SUP my comfortability of a big board comes from SUP, but also windsurfing and the speed and how to turn a big board at high speed. Uh, and, and, you know, with foiling, it's the nuances of like, you know, just the way I move my ankles, you know, the, the sensitivity of that and being able to be 
to apply that inside a giant barrel. I mean, I could kind of go on and on with my under like like how each sport helps one another. And I think that's why you often see a lot of these other amazing water athletes um, are so accomplished across so many sports is because they really feed into one another. Uh, and, and, you know, I think partially why I am the way I am too, is the conditions are just unreal here on Maui for every sport. I mean, if I, if, you know, if life on land wasn't, you know, so I think being a professional athlete, um, most people don't realize is unfortunately more than half the time you're having to deal with, you know, sponsors and other things on land and, when, you know, all we want to do is be on the water the entire time. But uh, that's, you know, that's what it's about being a professional athlete, too. You know, there's a the business side of it. And um, mm-hmm. if I could be just doing six, seven sports a day, all day, every day, that's kind of all I'd be doing. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of different ways. Let, let, let's tap into the business side real quick. Y- you've accomplished a lot, you know, up to 30 years old. But 30 years old is still very young. What are your goals for the next 10 to 20 years? Are you, do you have goals outside of the surf world? Um, I, uh, I definitely do. Uh, you know, I think right now, though, I'm just so – my focus is how can I be the best professional athlete I could possibly be while I'm still doing it. Uh, and, and there's a f- kind of dating back all the way to when I was a kid – there is um, a few moments in my life where, you know, I wanted to either be an inventor, I wanted to be a world championship athlete, I wanted to, you know, you just have all these kind of crazy ideas. And I realized that I ended up doing all of it in some sort of capacity, sort of inventing the gear that I'm riding, um, being a world champion athlete across different sports, you know, that's like, that was like a goal. And then, you know, now it's like, the performance side, like how can I push the performance, the athleticism? And I guess on, you know, business side, I'm just still trying to make what I'm doing my business. I think that's the dream. And there's a few examples that, you know, you know, that I've been following. It's like Laird Hamilton, Robbie Nash, you know, there's a really Kelly Slater. There's a few athletes that have been able to transcend, you know, ending their careers, you know, they're into their fifties now. And, uh, and, and, you know, they're basically still, you know, considered some of the greatest athletes in their respected sports. And they're still being able to do what they love and, um, and get paid for it. So that's kind of like, that's sort of the path I want to be on. Because at the end of the day, my favorite thing on earth, you know, number one is hang out with my kids. Number two is be out on the water. And, and that's it, you know, and, and I'm always inspired by what other people are doing. And, if it means spending time in a garage or a factory working on something that'll make my life on the water more fun, I'm all about it. Um, you talked about inspiration there. Who, who inspires you in the foiling world? You mentioned Noah and Austin in the air game. Who else are folks that you look to? Do you, do you study other people's lines or styles? Because you know one of the cool things about foiling is that there are very surf-centered styles and then there are very first principle type of approaches to flying a foil guys like a cane or um, even Kiahi kind of is more in that realm. Um, yeah. So I mean, world? it's cool. You know, I would say like two guys I'm always inspired by, I mean, on the design side, cause they're constantly tinkering is Dave Kalama is always tinkering on board designs and, 
and kind of approaches, you know. Um, mm-hmm. He's definitely developed the most accessible way to do prone downwinders for people here on Maui with his barracuda board and, you know, even his paddles that, you know, have wider surface area on his hands. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's part of that. There's a cult following of Dave Kalama foilers, which is awesome. You see him all the time. And he's always trying to, you know, he's just doing what Dave Kalama's always done, which is who he is. He's one of the greatest inspirations to me, which is pushing the envelope of like, how could we have more fun and, how could these sports continue to evolve? Um, uh, but Kane as well, you know, he's really started off just making different back wings that were adaptable to everyone's foils. And, you know, he's always tinkering with gear. And I love going down to the beach. And when I see him just chatting it up a storm with him, being like, oh, so, you know, what's, what are you working on right now? And uh, and so that's that's cool. But Adam Bennett's, I really like his style from Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to do some really rad lines on his foil, like true carving, um, like top to bottom surfing. I think that's pretty rad. I, there's a quite a bit. I mean, I've been looking more at Austin and Noah for a while just as inspiration because the stuff they can do behind the wake, you know, on that static wave is pretty rad. And always thinking about how you could kind of bring that into, you know, ocean waves and stuff or downwinding on swells, always trying to up the, the risk level a little bit. Uh, um, but yeah, those, those guys, like kind of the ones I've been seeing the most of that I've been thinking are pretty rad. Um, I think Austin and I are doing a downwinder right after this, this afternoon. <laughs> oh, that's rad. Yeah, no, he's, he's unreal. He's yeah. We were actually towing last week and it's just so fun to, uh, to watch him just, you don't realize the amplitude that he's getting. The video doesn't really do it justice. Totally. I'm sure it's just like watching you live. Um, just un- unbelievable. Oh yeah. No, this man, it's, it's too bad. Video never does anything justice, but that's the great thing is like, whenever I see the best in the world come here to Maui or I'm somewhere and I see them, it's, it's always like, man, how did the, how is like, uh, how are some of these sports so niche when they're just so rad, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know why don't more people wouldn't want to do it. Long. I guess it's because it's exceptionally hard, you know, or to get into, maybe. Or intimidating, rather. Yeah, I think foiling is going to be a big sport. I think it's going to take some time. But, I mean, on the East Coast, like, if you're a good surfer, you should be on a foil. Because you're having fun 20 times um, as many days. It's just such a no-brainer. I a hundred percent agree. I think like having a longboard in your quiver, a foil belongs yep. in any surfer's quiver. Anyone that really loves riding waves has a foil in the quiver. And if they don't, um, you know, they might live at the best waves on earth or they might just be following kind of, um, you know, social trends. Yeah. So you mentioned top performers there and you know, you have been able to spend time with the likes of Lewis Hamilton, I think Max Verstappen, you know, in the formula, I love formula one, yeah. uh, Kelly Slater, you know, across multiple different sports, um, best guys in the world. What are you seeing in commonalities? What, what, what common, you know, points do you have with those guys? What are you learning from them? What are they most interested, uh, in, in learning from you? Uh, you know, I think it's really interesting. It's 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 really cool to see a Lewis Hamilton type figure. Um, you know, anyone that's not, you know, from 
or just the appreciation that those guys like Max Verstappen and all them have for surfing in general, but just water sports, you know, mainly like, like how they're, they think what we're doing in water is so crazy. And it's just funny. Cause it's like, I think what they're doing in these race cars is super nuts as well. And it just, I, I've always noticed that when I've gotten to meet the best of the best in their sports, they're always so blown away by what I do. And I'm always so blown away by what they do. And, um, I think, you know, where we're similar is that the passion for what we do is like, you know, in our blood. But I think what has separated those guys from anyone else is the amount of like dedication to the point where that's all that exists. That's all that matters to them was what they're doing. And like, um, they're not distracted or easily distracted by anything else. Um, and, you know, there's no compromise for them being the best, you know, like they're going to put it all on the line and, you know, them putting it all on the line means that they're the best at what they're doing. Um, and I guess at a certain point, like someone like Lewis ends up surfing a lot more and doing these other stuff. But, you know, initially he just lived, you know, ate, breathed, driving a race car. Um, but it's crazy just cause like they'll, like I've gone, I've gotten to go surf with Something like when I was growing up, I couldn't have never imagined just always hanging out with Kelly Slater and surfing and and you know staying over at his house and riding big waves with him. And you're just kind of like I'm kind of pinched myself. I'm like, how did I end up in this position? Like, am I worthy of this? You know, like because I live as myself every day, obviously. So usually I I don't think what I do is all that crazy or all that rad, but. When other people, you know, consider what I do pretty cool, um, you know, I always like feel very appreciative of that because it's like, all right, I'm 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 actually not wasting my time <laughs> just doing what I want to do. You know, there's actually kind of something co- cool about it. Uh, and with Lewis, too, you know, he told me after he's done racing Formula One, he just wants to, you know, move somewhere with great waves, probably Hawaii and just surf his brains out. How rad is that? And I'm like, sounds sounds rad. I'm, if if the greatest race car driver of all time wants to do what I'm doing every single day and I'm already doing it, geez, I, I, I think I'm doing the right sport. <laughs> it's one of the things I think about surfing all the time is like guys literally leave the tour so they can surf more. Like what other what other thing in life do you retire so that you can do it more? Well, it's funny. Now that you say that, it, it's so true. Like, in my experience, every single uh, race or contest I've ever done, you know, on a foil, without a foil, like, what's the first thing I do when the event ends? I usually go surfing after the event's over, you know? Like, <laughs> I go out. Like, Jaws. As soon as the contest wraps, you know, the circus leaves, I'm out at Jaws by myself for another four hours. I'm like, that's my best time to surf out here is because everyone's so tired and over it and contest is over, the hype's gone. So, you know, I got this myself. And when I was doing the Molokai to Oahu races a lot too, you know, you'd finish over there and, you know, especially on the foil, you wouldn't be exhausted because, you know, the foil is so efficient. I'd train not to be. And first thing I'd do is I'd go to the Outrear Canoe Club and go foil out front at sunset because it was like, what else am I going to do? You know, that's like the first thing I want to do. And, I don't, there's, there's no other sports that I know of where people go out and do the sport again after they just did it. Like what ball sport do you really know that that's a thing? Um, Surfing, riding waves. And when I say surfing, I consider it kind of an envelope for all sort of wave riding craft. Um, You know, what, 
what other sports are there where that's what you'd want to do like immediately when you're finished? <laughs> um, we're coming up on an hour now. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, how much time do you have? Do you need to wrap? Uh, no, we can keep going for a little bit longer. I'd be stoked. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so you are navigating a world right now in board sports that is the social media age, right? And you have to be both athlete and creator because so much, especially with what you're doing, you have, um, you know, there's not even contests in all the sports that you do. And so you had the Positively Kai, you've had, you know, uh, documentaries. Um, how much time are you spending on the creative side and how are you seeing like the social media landscape? And I know you've been able to spend some time with Mark, um, and he actually gave me a couple ideas, uh, you know, for some conversation stuff for the podcast, but, um, yeah. How, how are you seeing that whole, that whole, um, athlete and creator together? Uh, it's really tricky. I mean, cause like, um, everything you see, I post personally, you know, and, um, the first it's, it's difficult cause you trying to be an athlete and then have the creative mind to try to capture it for people, you know, have a YouTube channel, um, be consistent, you know, most, uh, videographers and photographers, like, you know, it's not, they, they film and that's it sort of thing. And, and to try to like get the footage to be able to edit it, you know, and, and trying to find that workflow is, I'd say it's the hardest time ever to be an athlete. I mean, the golden age was when, you know, being a pro athlete, there was magazines and people almost just did it for you. And all you had to do was work harder on the water, meaning you just had to go on the water more and, you know, go with photographers. And that was the end of your job. And that was kind of the start of my career. That's how way it was. And I was really good at it because I would be, I just wanted to be on the water all day. So it just meant more content for these, you know, you know, these, these bigger companies to, to kind of put it out. But now it's so individualistic. And, and there's a thing with saturation too, you know, like you can definitely overdo it sharing too much where people just get over you. Or if you're not constantly leveling up, um, you become irrelevant. And so trying to stay, trying to manage being, you know, relevant, but then, you know, also having your stuff be quality and then not oversaturate. It's just, it's like a full-time job. Um, you know, that in itself is like, you know, now pleasing sponsors means doing so many posts, um, or just like doing stuff for them to post and, those little things, it just sort of adds up and it's like, okay, I got to do this every single day. You know, um, you know, there's no weekends. I mean, you obviously take some days off and I try to like get shots and, and stuff where, you know, I can like share it a little bit later, but yeah, I, I think if you were on like the surfing world tour, probably that's probably the only tour right now where you could probably get away with it with just being a competitive athlete and that's mm -hmm. it. That's, that's probably the dream, honestly, right now, because that just means you're that focused on what you're doing. But I don't even know. I don't even fit in any boxes. I just kind of my my career and existence is so broad with so many sports that the only way I can share anything is to uh, invest my time and, and resources into just sharing it. And, you know, hopefully people keep finding it interesting because that's how I'll keep my job. <laughs> I don't think that you're in much danger there. I think that, I, I think you actually have, I, I think you're in the best spot right now in 
board sports in a lot of ways because you have been able to define your own career. And yeah. that's the hardest thing. It's easy to follow someone into a career. It's much more difficult to kind of define what you're doing. And and I think that's the the coolest thing is is being, you know, a waterman and being able to represent and positively too, right? Like if you were a dick or something, like it wouldn't have the same thing. You you're, you you can go into these sports and elevate the sports and help them out. You did that with stand up, right? Like, you know, as as a part of, of being able to watch the, like the stand up side, like you know, competition, the tour. I think you were always very like supportive of you know what Tristan was doing and yeah, um, you know all of that. And I think I think that adds a lot of positivity, almost to where you're able to to help the sports that you love not not just benefit from them. I think that's a, a great spot to be in, man. Yeah, well, I'm I'm grateful that uh that's the perception for sure cuz I mean uh, no matter what I think uh you know, I can get in my own echo chamber too uh where it's like hard to see like the impact that, you know, if there is at all any impact, you know, or it's like gosh, am I really, really doing it good right now, you know, cuz like I'm a super competitive person, you know, even mm-hmm. mainly just with myself. It's like, all right, how could I like get better? How could we do this? How we could do that? And, you know, um, some of the best things sometimes do just take time to kind of like cure and nurture and, and get the most out of it. So keeping that in mind too. And that's always been the most difficult part about trying to surf big waves. Uh, it's just like, you can't get it on any given Sunday. You know, I might not ride a big wave for nine months cause they just don't exist. Uh, and so, but it's, I always use it as kind of a good example of just, you know, just life in general, you know, you just got to take the opportunities when they come and and make it happen. Yeah. You mentioned being incredibly competitive there and I'm super competitive. One of my best friends here, Mike Pedigo is incredibly competitive. And we joke that we're frenemies because we're like best friends probably, but at the same time, like we're always kind of pissed at each other because he's doing something better than me or I'm doing something better than him. And so it's like friends, but always kind of butting heads at the same time. Do you find being that competitive, there are relationships that are harder to manage because competition gets in the way? Um, I've been pretty good at seeing it. I've been doing it long enough. I could see the writing on the wall and I know when to turn the switch on and off. Um, and for you can sure. do that? Or I'm fine with taking an L if they, like to the other person in order to like just keep everyone cool. You know, just being like, let them, you know, think they've won <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> like right on, you know, like, you know, you're totally right. You know, just because for me, it just comes down to what's happening on the water, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I just leave everything on the water. And on land, I just, if I can be friends with everyone, great. And if somebody doesn't want to be friends with me, it ain't my problem because I can be friends with just about anybody and, 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 uh, it just comes down to their own sort of path. And uh, and so I just kind of keep it that way. Um, but in the competition, the heat of the moment, it's just business. You got to go out and do your thing. And that's just, it's good competition. And afterwards, just, uh, yeah, be the bigger man. And when I lose, you know, congratulate. And then even when I win, tell them how they did a great job. Well, have you always been able to do that? Or, or is that something that you've been able to learn over time naturally i've been inclined to do it that way um like like that was just kind of a natural thing but for sure as i've gotten older and you know my you know kind of eyesight my range 
I, I can see things before they happen a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and and just been seeing the writing on the wall before it happens. Be like, okay, how do I mitigate this risk? You know, how do we like don't need this unnecessary drama for no reason? You know, and I love rivalries. I mean, that's fun, but um, you know, usually the best way to to get ahead of any rivalry is you know be the bigger person and. That the person that has the issue usually is in their own head more, whereas I can just go home and just be like, do, 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 I'm living a good life. You know, this is great. <laughs> do you talk with Kelly about that stuff? I mean, he's the king of that, right? Um, yeah, Kel- it's just I think he comes so naturally to Kelly, though, that he um, he doesn't uh, doesn't even know. Like, it's just normal to him, you know, and I don't even think I think he he kind of keeps his cards close to his chest for sure. He's so competitive. I, I sometimes think that he doesn't even want me to like know stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm not even competing or on your level. <laughs> um, but um, but but no, I mean, just hang when you get to hang out with those type of individuals, they don't need to tell you something, you know? You just kind of see how they operate and just kind of watching how he moves and you know, just you know, little things he says too, you know, like he's so competitive, he'll try to like rile you up and whatever and and you just kind of like all right you know it's uh you know that's that's what made him the 11 time world champion <laughs> all right let's um i i do like a series of kind of rapid fire questions to kind of wrap up a show feel free to go into these as deep as you'd like or keep it keep it pretty simple whatever you want to do here um how do you define success uh, I define success as um, accomplishing the goal, the personal goal um, that was set out. And then, you know, everything that falls with it, be it success from, um, you know, other people's perce- per perspective is almost secondary. But if I can accomplish what I, you know, put on my dream board, kind of what I've imagined, what I wanted to accomplish, then that to me is like success. Granted, you know, of course, if you, if I'm being successful, I know the rest will follow. Um, so if I succeed in what I'm trying to do, I know that, you know, the support and opportunities will follow after that. So just focusing on, you know, the pure end of it, that's and accomplishing what I want to do, fortunately means success. <laughs> so I've kind of figured out what it means to, you know, have have those targets and and what to chase after how do you define happiness i mean happiness is when i'm not i'm either i'm neither thinking of the past or the future i'm just so content in the moment and without actually understanding why i'm smiling and giggling and, and happy i just am and you know you can't put a definition on it i think that's the true meaning of happiness for me it comes from being with friends in the water score or scoring conditions or being in riding the biggest waves in the world, um, being with my kids and just looking at them and playing with them, you know, like I'm so happy just to be here right now. Um, that's, that's, that to me has been, those have been the best moments I've ever had where nothing else exists except for what's directly in front of me. And, you know, it doesn't matter what, (laughs) what, what the, what's happening in the rest of the world. You know, from a public um, perception, you're always super upbeat, super happy. Um, is there a flip side to that coin? 
Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I'm like any other normal person for sure. You know, like I'd say generally my, uh, my kind of my, who I am is a super happy and like go lucky fun person. And, but I think within my own self, um, you know, on my own, I'm like really critical, um, a perfectionist, um, not easily satisfied, but I know how to be like, I know how to be just happy about where I am in the process. Cause it's that, that old saying, you know, it's not necessarily the destination, but it's the journey to get there. And, um, I just enjoy the journey so much that I am genuinely happy all the time, but I got expectations and I got motivations and I got goals. So, um, I definitely, all the pressure I've ever felt has, is always come from myself, from within. That's the biggest pressure. And, uh, and so, yeah, no, I mean, I take what I do seriously and I understand it's like just a gift to be in the position I'm in and I don't want to squander any opportunity, just make the most of every day. So actually my worst days are when I'm having to take a rest day and forcing myself to not do anything except for maybe watch a show or read a book. Um, those are my worst days because I just have so much I want to accomplish um, that it's uh, hard to hard to, um, to to wait for it. You know, it's like I want to be there today. <laughs> I want to like get on this road, be doing something. Um, what motivates you right now? <sighs> what motivates me? Um, well, for sure, you know, um, supporting my family, giving my kids the best life they could possibly have. That's the number one. Number two. I mean, career-wise, uh, I guess number one would be, um, you know, like I'm so goal-oriented, whether it's a trick. It goes, it kind of goes between like, gosh, I'm so focused. I want to do this maneuver. I'm not going to, st- I'm going to stop at nothing to, to do this maneuver. And then mm-hmm. the other one is like, oh, I'm going to work on my equipment. I got to innovate it so it could help me, you know, get better performance-wise. And then, or it could be like a competitive goal. It's like, I want to train so I could be at the, top of my level for this. And, you know, right now it's big wave season. So I'm like, I want to be able to win the Nazare contest. I want to be able to, um, win jaws. Uh, like, like, it's like, how do I train for those things that you can't train for? <laughs> um, what's your favorite Marine animal to see offshore? And do you have a best story? I um, these. I think, because I see them the least is probably spinner dolphins. Um, but when I do see them, it's super fun because there's this pod of like 50 spinner dolphins that come up the coast every once in a while. And I've had situations, just random experiences where I'm out there in the water by myself, a half a mile, mile out to sea, just do, 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 living my life, be it on a foil, a windsurf or whatever. Then all of a sudden 40 dolphins are just jumping over me. And you're like, am I in a movie right now? This seems so crazy, you know, just, and, and those dolphins are so friendly and they're so like, they look like they're just having of all the Marine animals I've ever seen, you know, like sharks are always, they always seem like they're just in survival mode. You know, they're either resting to survive or they're eating something to survive. Right. Dolphins generally look like they're having fun and then they go and eat and and survive there, but they're generally just like having fun. and, And I can like, I can uh, definitely like, uh, you know, I, I feel a connection there between them, even though it's like, I'm not, I don't consider maybe my past life being a dolphin, but that's like kind of inspiring because like, 
most sea creatures are just trying to like survive another day to live a, a long enough life. Whereas I, I, every time I see a dolphin, yeah, they, they seem to just be kind of enjoying life, you know, a little bit more. And it could be their level of intelligence um, compared to other animals. I'm not sure. Um, but one of the scariest stories, well, it's not so much scary, but one of the crazy experiences when I was 13, I was windsurfing in front of where I live and I was about a half a mile out to the sea and I ended up T-boning like a giant 12 foot shark at six in the <laughs> evening. And I was like, yeah, I was a small kid still at 13 and my friend witnessed it from behind and he'd been yelling at me, arc, arc. And I couldn't catch the first half. So all I heard was arc. And I was like, what is he talking about? Like, and I looked forward and there was just this dorsal fin that was up to my waist. And uh, I ended up hitting it and grinding off the nose of it, like, like, like a skate. And, uh, and almost going over the handlebars and seeing half the shark in the air. And I think that was the first time that shark had ever been attacked by anything <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, on a windsurfer, you can sneak up on creatures pretty quick because you're going fast and you're, you know, fairly quiet. And I remember, you know, sailing another mile out to sea and then having to come back in where the uh, shark was. And, uh, but when, when I did hit the shark, the thing was thrashing the water and, the tail of it was thrashing so hard it missed my face by like, gosh, felt like a foot or maybe even closer. Um, it was just like probably would have taken my head off, but it was just so violent of a scenario. And I was uh, not going to fall and there was a big wind shadow, probably like a hundred yard wind shadow. And I floated all the way into the sand and my friend fell like a hundred yards out <laughs> and not that the shark would be following us or anything, but it was just, we were groms and it was just funny. Cause I started, of course, knowing I was safe, thinking it was funny. I started yelling at him. The shark was behind him and I'd never seen someone swim so fast in my life to this day. He was like hydroplaning all the way to the sand. And, uh, then we had to wait a half hour for his gear to slowly float to the beach. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I had just gotten this board and I put a Red Bull sticker on the bottom and the Red Bull sticker had been sanded off from the texture of the shark skin. And that was pretty wild. So That's that was like gnarly. a couple, kind of a cool encounter. I love that. I had one, um, I was doing a downwind run about a week and a half ago and it's about a half mile paddle out to get into really good bumps here. So just straight offshore. And then they're not really downwind runs or kind of sidewind most days because you're kind of like working your way offshore to stay like a half mile, three quarters of a mile offshore the whole way. And I was doing my paddle out and a dolphin kind of comes by me. And right as he comes by me, uh, or she does this like really cool air. And then next bump comes up and does a tail walk. It was like fully showing off. Right. What? And then, the thing like, so like two airs there swims back up to me and then proceeds to do it again. It was just like, and I've seen them, you know, they jump by me all the time, but I've never had a dolphin like swim, turn back around and then like just show off one more time and then peace out. I thought it was like such a beautiful omen for, for the run. So oh, cool. for sure. Yeah, no, those, I mean, those special moments out there for sure. You're like, gosh, is this happening right now? It's like, seems yeah. surreal. I think, I think that's one of my favorite things about downwind is just how many more animals I'm seeing. And we see a lot of sharks here, but they're always just kind of on their own program. And generally we see each other and they just, we, I go one way and they go the other way. I hope it stays like that. I um, hope so too. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the downwinding is like, you definitely, 
you know, get to see things most people, because most people don't leave, you know, very, they, you know, they're, if you're surfing, you're very close to shore all the time. So it's cool to be in the, the desert of the ocean a bit. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's see here. What do you think about on downwind runs? I love this one too. People think about some random stuff sometimes. Are you doing a lot of downwinding right now? Um, I, yeah, I went, uh, we went from Maui to Lanai like two days ago. That was pretty fun. It was like 50 knots. It was insane. Head high oh. swells. It was so sick. How long run is that? That's like, from where we were, that's probably like 15 miles. Sick. But normally it's like a straight shot's like 10. That's awesome. So what do you think about when you're downwinding? Does your mind wander? Uh, yeah, but I'm now I've been really focused on, you know, basically doing um like tricks so i'm always focused on the next trick okay i made that one all right i gotta see how many i can string together you know but yeah i know for sure my mind will if i'm just doing a normal run where i'm not doing tricks i'm just kind of like on my own out there then yeah the mind wanders all over the place you know okay what do i gotta do when i get in but i try to just if i'm thinking of anything i try to think about forward thinking ideas rather than just chores (laughs) (laughs) um when you're doing those runs we're doing tricks you jet ski assisted um uh yeah like generally yeah because then that way i just know i can like push the limits of it you know i can really like test things out um but uh the i i still treat it as if like oh my gosh you can't fall but i'm when there's a little bit of swell or waves i will um like I'll, i'll be able to paddle myself back up if something happens but um, I mean, for so long, I've always just been doing, uh, I've just been doing like downwinds on my own or with friends where completely unassisted. So I do love that feeling of being like, you know, nervous about having to do a long paddle back to the shore. And you're doing most of your runs up when you're, um, paddling back up. Um, Pardon? So when you're when you're doing your runs and you're you're coming down and you're paddling back up, are those sup runs? Sup uh, yeah, under? but I you know I I do, um, like I'll go prone on my smallest gear. I'll do it on my four or actually I think it's like a three and a half foot long board where it's like mm-hmm. your peripheral vision you can't see your board and it's really hard to paddle back up on. So right. you know there's just no failing. You know just I I love the idea that's like when I'm out there I'm totally free in that point and uh, you know you fall, you die kind of attitude. Like there is no falling. Um, this is pure survival. Granted, I could always, I've, and I've had to paddle down the coast to like a different wave to get up or paddle back to shore. I've, it's happened before, but generally it's just, that's the fun part of doing that run is I'm like a mile, two miles out to sea, no leash, no nothing. And I know I can swim in if I lost my foil too. Like that's not a concern necessary. Mm-hmm. It is because it's an inconvenience, but it's more like it's it's kind of the thrill of riding a big wave when there's no big waves to ride. Like, okay, this is all or nothing. Like everything's on the line. Like I have to be so focused. Um, is that a hard need to feed the the big wave? Like it's one of the things that I think about a lot is so we become addicted to these states. So flow states or adrenaline states. And like any drug, you have to continue to push the limit 
to get to the same state again. Um, and you're someone who's pushed the limit in most of these arenas uh, pretty much as far as you can go. Um, has it been harder and harder to get to the states that you like? And, you know, I think the big benefit of doing multiple sports is that you get to kind of reset when you go from sport to sport. But, you know, how do you relate to that? Um, yeah, I know for sure. I understand that. Uh, I do think, um, I do think, uh, like it's just such a natural kind of rise or kind of, um, you know, like the more you push things in general, you want more of, and I, that's why I've been getting into reading more. I'm so addicted to like accomplishing things that I'm like, all right, one thing to, to like be slow and good for your mind is like just reading in general. So I got like a couple months ago, I got really into reading and, you know, I've just been pounding through books just because it's like, it's like, it, it slows my mind down from always going really fast. Cause when you're in the water, you're doing something, it's like, you know, that dopamine rush one would get from social media, for example, you know, mm -hmm. rather than getting that and depleting that before I even get in the water, trying to keep those levels high. So when I, so I get even more of a rush when I'm out on the water or more on focus versus just feeling bleh, that's the reading has been like unreal. Um, what do you read? Uh, I've just been reading like a lot of um, fiction books. So a lot of S Stephen King, um, Michael Crichton, um, you know, it's just easy. Those are pretty, they're not, easy to read, but they're like easy in the sense that the story is going fast, you know? So yeah. it's like, I'm reading something, I'm reading a good gripping story, but I'm still reading, you know, you can only get through, so, I can only get through so many pages so fast. And yeah, so I've, there, lately the books have been around, like they, I would say anywhere from 450 to 800 um, page mark. So in the last two months, I've read five books. And I'm right. done with my six. So it's just, I, that's what I do before I go to bed or any like time where, you know, you're kind of waiting, even if I'm, let's say doing, you know, random crap, like going to the DMV. I just walk in there with a book and I'm like, I could be here all day. Like, this is all good, you know? <laughs> well, this has been awesome, Kai. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Oh yeah. Well, thank you for having me and I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Um, I was let, who's ever on the show, leave us with something, whatever you want. What do you want to leave the audience with? Um, I think, you know, you know, at the end of the day, you know, everyone I've, this is personal to like what I go through. It's like, you know, I used to think it's like all about trying to find meaning, you know, like try to find meaning in what you're doing. Um, but I realized that the best moments I've ever had or when I've been in some sort of survival state, you know, I think I appreciate life the most when I'm in some sort of survival thing where it's, you know, our ancestors might've been, you know, am I going to get a meal tonight? You know, am, are we going to have like a place to live? You know, like if you're, you know, it's like it kind of going to those basic um, kind of, you know, what's deep within our genetic code, and that's, I think, partially the reason why I like riding really big waves is because it's survival. And that's the survival of it is um, what keeps me really passionate. And um, and I mean, it could be survival in a different way, whether it's like, 
you know, to, to everyone's each own level and how far you want to push it. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but for me, it's, it's like, if I can do something where it feels like, you know, there, there is a risk to it, you know, uh, I just find my, everything around me seems so much more colorful and so much more pure. And, 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 and I'm just, instead of thinking about how much time, like I don't have enough time in life. It's like, I'm just grateful for the time I have in those moments. I think that was like, that's the best feeling. It's like, wow, I, I've made the most of the time I had. And I'm and whatever happens after this, I'm good. You know, like there's that unbridled, you know, gratefulness that I, I feel in those scenarios. So I think finding something worth surviving, you know, <laughs> that's that's my uh that's that's my recommendation for everybody. Go climb a big mountain in your backyard if you've stared at it your whole life. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's beautiful, man. Has that feeling changed post having kids? I was going to leave it with that question, but I have to ask that follow-up. Oh, and I feel like, I feel like the, I, the, the only way I can be the best dad I could possibly be is if I'm, if I'm the one, if, if there's something on the line for me to mm-hmm. survive, you know, like they're the ones worth surviving for, you know? And, um, you know, granted it's different. I think Back in the day when we were, um, had, you know, or like thousands of years ago when it was about getting, if you were going to eat a meal today or something, you know what I mean? It goes back to that basic human instinct. Um, those, that, that moment with, you know, like my kids now, it's like, uh, by going out there, I'm, you know, doing my job is my career, but I'm also like, there's something to survive for. And in terms of like my mental health, that's when I, now I feel so good when I come home, especially after a big day, you know, I like survived. It was like, you know, fighting a bear in the woods <laughs> or something, you know, like it's just, there was all this, there was all the line and I come back and, and it's like, yeah, you know, you almost, those, those things, you definitely do it for myself. And if I'm in my best mental state, you know, I'm, I can give my kids a hundred percent of myself where if I'm not in the best mental place, you know, um, then it's how am I supposed to, if I can't take care of myself, how can, how can I take care of somebody else? And, uh, my friends, um, uh, and I joke about it. It's like everything we do training wise, you know, and it comes down to like from doing the seven minute ice baths when you don't want to do it, doing the, you know, the long paddles when you don't want to do it, doing the breath holding, simulating drowning when you don't want to do it, just waking up at 5am every morning when you don't want to do it. It's like, the attitude is earning your right to live. Every day I got to earn my right to live. And then I'm so grateful to be alive. I love it. Kai, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I'm sure everyone's going to love this episode. And, and, and I should take the time real quick to just say thank you for creating a sport that has, um, you know, brought so much joy to so many people. I mean, this whole community is like so incredible. I hope that you get to, to see it from where you are. Um, cause I know that like we talk about the community all the time. So, uh, it's, ap- it's apropos that we're doing this on uh, Thanksgiving week. Thank you, Kai. Oh, well, you know, I, I never expected any of it, you know, um, you know, for people to consider me a reason for doing a sport or having a sport be around. So when I hear it, I'm usually, I feel pretty blown away and I'm, I'm really humbled by it and I'm stoked. And, 
you know, to me, anything that I ever do, and particularly with foiling, you know, especially with foiling, all I wanted from the moment I figured out how to do it was for other people to do it. And just seeing other people so happy and so stoked to ride a foil, you know, it's like my mission was accomplished there. It's like, all right, yes, you know, like they don't have to ever know I had anything to do with it and I could care less. It's just so rad that the sports living on with um, people's stoke and passion. So, yeah, I just uh, look forward to coming to your guys' neck of the woods and, you know, um, foiling some of your swells when the time comes. Open invite, man. Come, we got a great crew here, man. Brian Foil the World lives up the street. Austin Tovey, Mike Pedigo, Jack's Beach is a is a beautiful place to foil. Can't wait. Well, uh, thank you, Eric. Uh, appreciate being on the podcast. Deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.